Glad to be with you. Uh, I met many of you a few months ago. Uh, well, that was more than eight months ago, I think now. And uh, when I was when we were here at the end of the year with my wife, and um, right now she she's greeting you from Uganda. She's in Uganda. She traveled from. We live in Kenya, but they took about a three day journey, and uh, they're with our team and at the base in Uganda, which I'll show you a picture in a minute. Um, actually, you just pull up the first picture. I don't know if Nick is there, but um, she is with the team. I just wanted to testify. Many of you gave, and uh, and we had a grand opening a few months ago of the House of Prayer. That's a 500 seat auditorium, and uh, that's this is kind of the front area, really muddy. That's inside. That was the opening uh, of the conference. We had about 40 pastors from the area join us, and, uh, and around 500 people come to the opening, and uh, so many people just engage in what the Lord is doing and getting stirred up for prayer. That's a prayer center that will serve the, that entire region, and that's connected to the missions base. Behind that building is a school that we've been able to construct. We have about three acres of land there. Uh, where we train, we have a full-time training school for African missionaries. And uh, you can go to the next slide. And these, uh, these two guys, we sent out about uh, uh, two months ago, just around the time of the conference, and uh, they went to a refugee camp on the border of Sudan and South Sudan. If many of you don't know that those South Sudan is like the newest country in the world, but they are right on the border and they're ministering to unreached people groups. They came back recently with testimonies and they're going back. We're sending them back to that area to preach the gospel and to do church planting and they just have amazing testimonies. So I just wanted to show you that. Those are some new things going on and, uh, and we just are so blessed by the generosity of this church who has given uh, to the ministry in the past. Amen. Can you just clap to the Lord for that, what he's doing? If you want to know more about this, I wrote a book on the African missions movement and what the Lord is doing, and it's here. Give a donation of $5, $10, uh, doesn't matter to me, and we'll give you a book. I think I have about 20 of them here. But Funmi, can you just stand up? She works in 76 here in Atlanta, right? The House of Prayer. And uh, she'll be there to talk to you if you want more information. We actually have the, a way for you to sponsor an African missionary. And, uh, and that's our ministry, to serve the African missions movement, to train and mobilize African missionaries. And uh, we do that with the help of grassroots movement of churches and individuals who are supporting native missionaries among unreached people groups. And uh, it's really exciting what the Lord is doing. So, yeah, my wife... Gives you greetings. It was our uh, 15 year anniversary. 15 years of marriage on the third. And I, I was here and she was in Uganda. So I don't know if that was a good thing, but, but um, I'm so blessed and our kids are doing well. We have three kids, Hadassah, Bethany, and Jaden, and they're all, uh, their birthdays are all in August, and my birthday's in August. My birthday is next Sunday. And uh, so my kids are turning 11, 8, and 4, and I miss them a lot. It's been two weeks. I was actually in, in Ghana last week, and this is really amazing because I have been studying about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. 
And, um, and as I'm studying it, um, Jeff contacts me and says, come and, you know, what you've been studying, come and share it with the church. Because he knew I was, I was coming to the States for a week. And I said, I'd love to. And then I went to this gathering where we were training 700 leaders and pastors in Ghana to uh, evangelize the Muslim community of Ghana. There are about 4.5 million Muslims. And then the surrounding countries in West Africa are, are majority Muslim countries. And so we had 700 pastors and leaders committing themselves for for one week we did training with them but they were committing themselves to evangelize Ghana and then we, they had uh, a commitment where churches would do the training and then every uh, we actually have a calendar set up where believers are committed all around the nation of Ghana to preach the gospel to Muslims until we see every single Muslim in Ghana uh, hear the gospel isn't that amazing we had we had um I just, we sat down with some church leaders uh, and, you know, who are over many churches, hundreds of churches, and, and the one guy who hosted us it was saying, um, he was saying, you know, we are in this together, we're ready to die for the gospel, we are doing this, we're going after this. And so it is amazing what God is doing all around the world. You know, we shouldn't look at uh, the negative, only the negative things. We should see that God is moving in an extraordinary way. And part of what he's doing is raising up the church all over the nations. And uh, so it's really exciting. But anyways, the reason I tell that story is because I was at the Pentecost Convention Center. And I didn't know I was going to be at this place. It, it is a massive, massive convention center that was built by the indigenous, an indigenous church called the Church of Pentecost. I've never heard of them before. I'm not a Pentecostal, and I'm, but I'm teaching you today about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I've been going kind of deep into studying about the, uh, the first wave, uh, the Pentecostal revival called the Azusa Street Revival, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but... Um, but so I, I end up, after I say, Jeff, yeah, I'm going to come and speak on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I end up, and I'm looking at this giant, massive sign. I mean, it's a 5,000-seat complex. They have different, uh, different facilities, and I mean, it's just amazing. And it's the Pentecost Convention Center. And I'm like, wow, I think God is speaking to me. And, um, and so I think the Lord really has something for you today. Amen. Uh, let's pray as we, as we open up the word of God. As we open up the word of God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this moment. And, uh, and we ask you to give us clarity about the, the things of the Holy Spirit and the word of God. And Lord, I ask you to teach us. I ask that our ears would be open to hear from you. And Lord, I ask you to release in us a deep, deep hunger for the things of God, for the move of the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us a deep, deep hunger for the outpouring of the Spirit in our generation and in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, there's about eight references to this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you include, uh, I mean, in the New Testament, if you include uh, Matthew 28, 19, and I do include that, uh, and let's read it just 
together. It says, go therefore. Jesus says, go therefore. Now he has ascended and now he's mobilizing the disciples into the nations and he's commissioning them. And um, this, this verse has just become so powerful to me. In the last year, I've been meditating on it a lot and it, the Trinitarian nature of this passage and Jesus commissioning, the center of the Great Commission is the Great Confession. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, um, but he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus actually told them to go and baptize people in the name of God, singular, and most scholars believe that's a reference to the, uh, the divine name in the Old Testament, and, um, and then he, he defines it. He says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but he is telling us to baptize in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we see this baptism of the Spirit, but not like you would think. I've had uh, Muslims actually challenge uh, me on this subject, and they say, show me one place in the book of Acts where they baptize in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because in the book of Acts, they baptize in the name of Jesus, and it's a shortened way. They baptize in water. But then I realized no, they, they actually do baptize in the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Like in Acts chapter 11, when Peter's preaching uh, at Cornelius' house, and it says the Spirit is poured out on them, they start to speak in tongues and to prophesy, and then Peter remembers that Jesus had said he would baptize in the Holy Spirit. So they did baptize in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, just not the way that we think. See, what Jesus is saying is that we're to bring people into the fellowship of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it shows the deeply Trinitarian nature of the gospel message. The gospel is not complete without an experiential dimension of the Spirit's power in the life of the believer. See, we do not only believe and have fellowship with the Father and with his Son. We also must believe and have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. See, we don't get Jesus without the Holy Spirit because there is only one God. That's the doctrine of the Trinity. If you take away the Holy Spirit, you don't have God, the God of the New Testament. Just the way that in John he says, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. What does he mean by that? Well, there is no Father without the Son. There's only one God. That's why, you know, in the, when Jesus says this, then he says to the disciples, I will be with you even to the end of the age. And it harkens back to his name that he's given by the angel in, the, in uh, Matthew, in the beginning of Matthew, when the angel says, this is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus says, I'm going away, but I will be with you to the end of the age. Now, this clearly shows he's God, he's divine. How can he be with us if he's leaving? But how is he with us? By the Spirit. How can Christ be in us the hope of glory? 
Because he's the spirit of Jesus. He's the spirit of the Lord. I mean, but the, Jesus is in heaven, but how can he be in us? He's in us by the Holy Spirit. So we don't get Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And this is just like Paul praying in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Beloved, I am so deeply burdened for our generation that we would value the ministry of the Holy Spirit and that we would know the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that the Holy Spirit would release gifts and power, and that we'd walk in the fullness of all that God has purpose and destined for us to walk in. Jesus taught that the Spirit would be given in a unique way under the new covenant that he was not given under the old covenant. And um, he points out that this would be a unique experience which would only take place after he's glorified. The spirit would be given, and that's the key word, in a, in a way that he was not previously given under the old covenant. So we can look at John chapter 7. I'm going to read a lot of verses to you. So you can just either listen or try to follow along if you have your Bible. But John 7, 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now ask yourself, does rivers of living water flow out of my heart? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Have you experienced this? Because he says, this is going to happen to people who believe in him. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Then there's another passage in John 16, 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Now we know that the helper is the spirit of truth. The helper is the spirit he says, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, this does not mean that the spirit was not active in the world at the point Jesus is saying this or even before this. In fact, even in Genesis chapter 1, we have the spirit hovering over the earth. And, um, and, and all throughout the Bible, the prophets are filled with the spirit. They, uh, the spirit rushes on them. They prophesy Daniel has the spirit of the living God dwelling in him. And so this is not to say that the spirit was not active in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant. But he would be given in a unique way under the New Covenant. And there would be an experience of the spirit that was unique. Now the prophets foretold about this. Uh, in particular, I won't go into all the passages, but in particular, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, becomes an interpretive key for our understanding of the Holy Spirit's activity in the new covenant. And, of course, it's an interpretive key because we read about it in Acts chapter 2. Peter says, look, this that you see right now that's happening is Joel 2, 28. And so it becomes... Uh, uh, 
helps us to interpret what Jesus is actually talking about here. And so let's read it. Joel 2.28. He says, it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody say all flesh. You guys are taking me too serious. I get, you're like, I don't know. <laughs> Everybody say all flesh. You know, in Africa, we say amen, preach, things like that. I need to hear some of those things. That's why I wore my Africa shirt. Somebody gave this to me in Ghana. Had to wear it. All right. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So he says, I will pour out my spirit on all and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And on my men servants and on my uh, female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So what's the difference between the old and the new experience of the spirit? Well, it's primarily in scope and in power. Scope being how many are experiencing it, and not just prophets, not just the elite, not just the Jews, but also Gentiles, not just the mature, but also young and old. The scope of this thing is going to be broadened to all flesh. And it will be global. People of every age and economic status. That's why even the servants will prophesy. And what we also see here is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because that's what we're talking about today, can be called an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because in Joel, God says, I will pour out my spirit. And then Peter says it as well. Uh, in Acts 11 and several other places. Listen, when I was 15 years old, I was wrestling with depression and um, struggling. My dad was a pastor, non-denominational uh, charismatic church from upstate New York. Some of my friends are here who I grew up with. Some of you grew up in my youth group, and uh, she's still in my youth group. Anyways, she never graduated. Um, I was 15 years old and I was wrestling. I know that I was saved. And uh, we had a unity meeting, like the race one uh, thing that you guys are doing. What's it called? The ra One race, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, we, a bunch of churches came together to pray. I'm 15 years old. I'm wrestling with depression. I know I'm at the point in my life where I'm either going deeply away from the Lord into bondage or God is going to break in. And and good thing I had friends and people praying for me. And, um, and so I opened my heart to the Lord during this meeting. Then they call us up onto the platform. 
and uh, here we are. All the young adults are standing on the platform praying for the adults. And for some reason, they had called us up. And so I close my eyes, and all of a sudden, I'm feeling the presence of the Lord. I'm praying. I'm engaging. And, I, you know, I, I, was, I was really struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts. But something was happening in my heart at this moment. And I remember... I open my eyes, and I'm on a platform like this, and then everybody who's on stage with me was off the stage, and only the, the singers and musicians. And so my youth leader kind of sees me, and my, I think my dad and a few other people, and so I'm standing there, and my youth leader starts to walk up, and I'm kind of over here. And, um, and all I remember, as he's walking over, I feel a rush of power. Weighty glory, that's the only way that I can explain it to you, pressing on my back and inside I feel a groan. The weighty glory of God touches me. Now I'm struggling with my identity and knowing God and depression and, and, and wanting uh, and suicidal thoughts and suddenly the spirit of God is coming upon me and I remember saying, prophesying in the meeting, and uh, I, was, I was kind of like caught up in something, and my youth pastor came over, he thought I was like nervous, or he wanted to help me come down from the stage, because it was just awkward, everybody's looking at me, you know, a few hundred people, and he comes up, and instead of helping me, he touches me and falls on the ground, just bam! And then other people start falling, boom, boom! As I'm experiencing this, my friends, you know, who I was smoking cigarettes with, and we were starting to go off the, you know, I mean, I'm 15, I'm, but I'm trying to be a good kid, but I'm, in, you know. He is weeping, travailing. My friends are falling on the ground, crying. I come down from the stage, and people are falling, and weeping, and getting touched by the Lord, and lives are being transformed. I experienced a baptism of power. Now listen, at this point, you're 15. I, I can't even pray for five minutes. But after, literally, my mind was transformed. I had a transformation of the mind. I was not, I, I was delivered completely of depression. And all I wanted to do was encounter the presence of the Lord. I remember, you know, being 15 and doing, uh, you know, overnights in our church. Then we were doing prayer meetings all night, and the glory of God was, was uh, coming in the whole youth group, and people were weeping and travailing before the Lord and praying for their schools, and, uh, and amazing things were happening. And I'm praying for 36 hours straight in the sanctuary, just in, this, in a room like this at 15. Praying for 36 hours. The overnight wasn't enough. I go, I got to stay longer and pray for revival and pray for God to touch my friends and all the stuff that God was doing. I mean, amazing things. Something happened. There was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was young, but that changed the trajectory of my life up until this moment. I'm never satisfied. I'm not satisfied with church as usual, ever. And I remember what the Lord telling me, that he was going to do something. He was going to do something in this generation. 
that would be so real and powerful that you either were in or you were out of it. That's what God spoke to me. And I remember the Lord, uh, it was just an open heaven. I could hear the voice of the Lord. I wept for hours that night. My life came into focus, came into meaning. There is a new covenant experience of the Holy Spirit. So in the new covenant, all believers are indwelt by the Spirit. Along with this, the new covenant promise of the Spirit includes people from all tribes and not only the Jewish people. Finally, the new covenant includes great empowerment for ministry through what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at a a few passages about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, verse 11. Now these are four of the passages and that are parallel to this one where it's John the Baptist. And he says, uh, I, Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water uh, for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, fire could be a, a, a term of judgment. So some are baptized with fire, and then there's a, a purifying judgment or something. Or fire could be a reference to the tongues of fire that rest upon the heads of the disciples in Acts chapter 2. I tend to believe it's the second one, and it represents the word of the Lord, the empowerment to speak. Because when they start speaking in tongues, the nations are hearing them declare the wonderful works of God. We'll look at that in a minute. But always when the Spirit is poured out, it releases a boldness to preach the gospel in the nations, in the gospel of Luke. And, um, and so anyways, they're speaking in tongues. I remember a time we went to Katrina, you know, when Katrina happened, and, the, and there was a lot of devastation. I was in a tent, and I was speaking in tongues, you know, praying in a spiritual language. And I'm on the floor. I'm, I'm, there's maybe two people in the tent. We, we kind of had like this prayer tent set up. People were coming. We were, uh, we were participating in a ministry that was feeding. A lot of people were homeless after Katrina and preaching the gospel and all that kind of stuff. And I'm praying on my knees and I'm praying in tongues. And there's a woman sitting in the back, kind of heavy set woman in her, in her uh, middle age. And um, I, I had no idea she was there listening to me. The next day, she gets up and testifies at the meeting, and she says she gave her life to Christ, and she's speaking in a really, really strange uh, accent, and she goes, this young man, this young man, I I don't even know how to say this accent, she was Greek, but she's speaking, and she said, this young man was talking about Jesus in my language. I heard him saying things about Jesus, and I'm giving my life to Christ. And she experienced a physical healing in her body. I mean, that's kind of crazy. The reason I tell these stories, not really to talk about me, but I want to get you hungry for something more. The next reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I want to look at is from the lips of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. And he says the same thing as John the Baptist. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Now, Jesus spoke about this promise of the Father in the Gospel of Luke, at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Luke 24, 49. Look what he says. He says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. It's clear from Acts 1, 4 through 5, that the promise of the Father is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter also quotes these words of Jesus in Acts 11, 15 through 16. We don't have time to go through that narrative. Uh, but very powerful how the Lord, as, as I already said, fell The Holy Spirit is poured out on the household of Cornelius. But Peter basically identifies the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he says, this is what Jesus was talking about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's happening to the Gentiles. And um, in both Luke and Acts, and this is a very key and important point that we need to understand about this. In Luke and Acts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an enduing with power from the Spirit, and it is a preparation for ministry, particularly the ministry of reaching the nations with the gospel. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is envisioned as part of the new covenant experience available to believers. One of the primary emphasis here, again, is the Great Commission. Um, and, you know, uh, I'll talk about it in a minute, but William Seymour and the early Pentecostals, the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, which changed the global church. I probably won't have a lot of time to say uh, too much about it. But they understood that the baptism of the Spirit was about finishing the Great Commission before Jesus comes back. That there needed to be an empowerment of believers so that we can go into the world and preach the gospel. And so that people would get saved. That's how they saw, that's how they envisioned this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what Luke Acts set it up. Because Jesus comes out of the wilderness empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then that becomes a picture of the church in the book of Acts. That the empowerment of the Holy Spirit comes upon the church to bring the gospel in power and signs, wonders, miracles, prophecy, visions, tongues, all of that to the nations. In fact, the tongues in the book of Acts is seen as a way for other nations, other languages to receive. It's an empowerment for them to receive the gospel. You know, I see all kinds of, there are all kinds of strategies in the, in the missions world how we can do things better, how we can do things nicer. We need to understand the culture. We need to understand this, that, and the other thing. We got this strategy, that strategy. Let me tell you the strategy of the Lord. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's called the fire of God coming upon vessels. I remember those days, those 36 hours, you know, spending time in the prayer. And I still love to do that, you know, take times, extended times before the Lord. And I remember one of those times laying on the ground groaning because I could feel the power and the presence of God. Listen, I am an introvert. I was, I couldn't even talk about Jesus and I went to uh, community college. I was homeschooled. Then I went to community college. I don't think I talked to one person for a whole year on that campus. 
But I remember the Lord affirming, saying, I am with you. And recognizing that it's not my power, not my strength, but the spirit of the Lord on my life that would enable me to do things that I'm only seeing today. Like to stand before uh, 2,000 Muslims and debate on the divinity of Jesus Christ in Africa. I mean, I would never imagine doing that. But it's the spirit of the Lord that will enable that. And I'm not saying everybody has to do that. But listen, in Acts chapter 4, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, what happens? They're under threats. They cry out to God. The spirit is poured out and they go out speaking the word boldly. Boldly. Meaning if there is this timidity on us. And we can't even share the gospel with our friends. And we're ashamed of Jesus. Maybe we need to seek for a baptism of the Holy Spirit in our life. So we get delivered. I mean, I've been delivered over, I mean, of, uh, of fear, of timidity. It's something I've struggled with. Now, there are 1.6 billion Muslims. How do you think we're going to reach them? I'm asking God for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I'm seeing it. I was in Ghana seeing. I was seeing hundreds of pastors crying out to God for fire, for the power of God to preach the gospel to Muslims. That's what we need. The answer to the Islamic dilemma, you know, and even terrorism is not politics. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only one. <laughs> Listen, this is real. Jesus is the only one who can take a murderous, a, a murder, a, a person who has murder in their heart, a terrorist, and turn them completely around to where they love people. And they don't want to kill anyone. I have seen it. I've seen it, Muslims who have come to Jesus and then told me that they would have loved to find me in a dark alley when they were a Muslim. Uh, anyways, won't go into that anymore. I said, you know, I asked my friend one time, he was one of our students, I said, what, you know, what would, is Islam peaceful? And he goes, listen, if you had been in a dark alley, I would have loved to have found you when I was a Muslim. <laughs> because there would have been a reward for me or something like that, I don't know. But I have seen people like that completely transformed. Listen, the gospel works every time. Jesus works 100% to change a person's life. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. Let's try to look at a few more passages. What time are we going to? Am I out of time? Okay, what time am I supposed to end? Oh, come on. Well, I only have nine pages of notes. I'm on number three, so I'll get you guys out of here by seven. <laughs> seven okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Now this, again, as, uh, as we learned, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's where it's demonstrated, although it doesn't say the words baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. 
and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, Peter then announces that this is what Joel was talking about. This experience that we're looking at, this is the promise of the Father. And, um, and it's for every believer. I want you, if you have a Bible, look at chapter 2, verse 39. Peter says, listen, this promise, what promise? The promise of the Father, the enduing with power. The promise is for you and for your children and for all, everybody say all, all. who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now what Acts 2.39 does is to clearly establish that what has happened in Acts chapter 2 is a pattern that should be expected in the new covenant for every believer. Meaning, the church should expect the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is a pattern. See, others have taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit refers to regeneration of the believer when the believer is saved. But this, contrary to that, shows us this is something different. This is an empowerment. This is an outpouring that should be anticipated, expected, and experienced. It's available to all. It's not simply the new birth. Now, the early Pentecostals, now listen, in 1900, there were literally no, I mean, there was very, very few people who believed in the gifts of the Spirit. The majority of the church was cessationist, which they believed that the gifts, certain gifts, were not for today. And, um, and I love cessationists. And I believe there are people who have the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I, I'm not speaking anything against that. But there was an extraordinary thing that happened when God called this guy named William Seymour. And he went to preach. Uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself. But the, the early Pentecostals, they saw this, that the people who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit already had the Holy Spirit. They already had it. Look at John 20, 21 through 22. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is before the day of Pentecost. Now, lots of commentaries say that this is symbolic of what would happen later, but it's really hard to see this as symbolic when Jesus literally tells them to receive and he breathes on them. I mean, that's hard to think this is not them actually becoming born again believers. 
And it's also hard to believe that those disciples who devoted themselves to the Lord and were praying and who experienced the ascension of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, were not born again on the day of Pentecost. They most certainly were. And in fact, we see this then established as a pattern in the book of Acts that believers receive an endowment with power. To be a believer, you must already be regenerated, born again. Do you understand? See, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, no one can confess that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There is no true believer in Jesus that does not already have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And a lot of the misconception, we use language like spirit-filled or not spirit-filled. See, that's the wrong language. Because it would be wrong to say that a believer is not spirit-filled. We should use language like, have you received the gift of prophecy? Have you received an endowment with power? Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit in power where you have a release in your life of certain gifts of the Spirit? But that doesn't mean you're not spirit-filled. And that's actually the classic Pentecostal doctrine. What they noticed was that believers receive this power. Now, uh, I want to show you that in particularly... Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 12. When they believed, Philip, as he preached, uh, I'm sorry, it says, but when they believed, Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So you have people who believed and they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when uh, the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now this confirms what we read in Acts 2.39. He says, this is to you, to all believers, all whom the Lord calls, there is a promise of receiving power from the Holy Spirit as part of the experience of the new covenant. Believers receive this empowerment. Now, just like the believers in Acts 2 who must have been regenerate, they must have had the Holy Spirit already. The, it's hard to believe that the people in Acts 8 also did not have the Holy Spirit. They believed the gospel. There's no one who can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did a work in them. Jesus breathed in the, in the disciples in John 20. But there was more for them in the Spirit. So what does it mean that they received the Holy Spirit? Well, they received the Holy Spirit in the way that they did in Acts chapter 2, with power. See, that's the difference. It's not that that's the moment they were regenerated, 
But the way that the Spirit came upon the believers in Acts chapter 2, now he is coming upon these believers. It's quite extraordinary. And he says, for he had not yet fallen on them. Now the apostles, everywhere they went, they wanted to make sure that people experienced this. That they were empowered for ministry. Paul says to the Romans, listen, I long to come for you that I would impart to you a spiritual gift. Paul prays for the Corinthians and he says that you would come short in no spiritual gift before the return of Jesus. He doesn't want us to, be, to come short in the spiritual gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I'm so stirred up. Um, again, let me mention William J. Seymour. He was a one-eyed African-American preacher. He was the son of a freed slave. He was 34 years old when he traveled to California. And he started to believe that believers could receive what he saw in the book of Acts. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God for preaching the gospel, tongues, prophecy, that these things were what God wanted to still do in the church. See, no one was doing it. No one was experiencing those power gifts. But there was revivals, and I'm going to argue that those revivals were outpourings of the Holy Spirit. There was just certain gifts that they didn't operate in, probably because they were quenching those gifts. But they were experiencing outpourings. We have something called the Great Awakening 1, the Great Awakening 2, where people would groan under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God would be poured out. The Spirit would be poured out. Whole communities would come to the Lord. I mean... Just amazing things. I, I call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Even though they weren't necessarily speaking in tongues. You know, tongues is not a necessary evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's just one important evidence. But it's not necessary. Not all speak in tongues. As Paul says, do all speak in tongues? Do all prophesy? We don't all have the same spiritual gifts. And not every, every time the Spirit is poured out in the book of Acts do they speak in tongues. But a lot of times they did. A lot of times they did. But here's this man who starts believing this. He goes to a church in California. He preaches. They kick him out. They go, no, we don't. We're not into that. He gets invited to a woman's house, and they start having a Bible study about it. Well, the Lord starts to move, and then people start coming to the house. There's prophecy, tongues. Seymour himself started speaking in tongues, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're doing things that they've never even seen or heard of that they only saw in the Bible. Amazing. People come flooding to this house, and the meetings become so, so uh, full on the porch that the, lit the front porch and the house collapses. So they have to move the meeting to another location, Azusa Street. Well, the Azusa Street revival came like a, like a, a just touching the nations, black, white. This is in 1906. The race is mixed in California as the Holy Spirit was poured out. Black and white were hugging, holding each other as the Spirit of God come and people gripped by the Spirit of the Lord. Some started prophesying, some speaking in tongues. They would erupt in songs and the whole place would erupt in songs. 
This literally, listen, this 34-year-old man, son of a slave, shifted the global church. Today, there are over 500 million who believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And it's the fastest growing segment of the church. And every denomination, whether we like it or not, some people might not like it, but every denomination has been impacted. As people have become open to the voice of the Lord, as people have become open to prophecy, as people have become open to the spiritual gifts, now those early revivalists saw this as a restoration in order to fulfill the Great Commission and prepare for the coming of the Lord. Now imagine in 100 years, the whole entire global church has been shifted. We even have charismatic Catholics. I don't know much about it, but I heard that they're there. So what these people saw what God spoke to them is actually coming to pass. Meaning God was, is restoring the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the church before the return of the Lord. It's wonderful. I want to see the Lord, you know, I want you to have a hunger for the things of God. You know, so many people say that, you know, saying there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit or a second work of grace, you know, they've called it a second work of grace. I'm not sure about that language. But they will say that kind of causes unhealthy division because then you have someone who has and someone who does not have. Now, I want to make it clear, we're not saying that someone does not have the Holy Spirit. Cessationists believe that we have the Holy Spirit. They just believe certain gifts have not continued today. But we need to realize that they are spirit-filled if they truly believe in Jesus. They are spirit-filled. But maybe there's some gifts they're not walking in. So, so I feel like there's a false dichotomy by saying we have some people have the spirit and some people don't. That's the wrong language. That does create an unhealthy division in the church. We need to love our brethren. Whether it doesn't matter what denomination, doesn't matter what background, doesn't matter where they're at with all that. We need to love them. That's why Paul said, "Listen, love is greater than all these gifts. Love is greater." But Jesus made the baptism of the Holy Spirit available to the church under the new covenant. All the gifts of the Spirit. And the Bible teaches that some have certain gifts and others do not. It's, it's the wrong question to ask, do I have the Spirit? No, that's, that's the wrong question. You need to ask, do I prophesy? Do I speak in tongues? Now, not everybody has to do these. But have you ever asked the question? Have you ever looked at your life in God? Do I prophesy? Do I speak in tongues? Do I see miracles when I pray for the sick? Do I have grace and boldness on my life when I preach the gospel to the lost? Do I experience dreams and visions? I remember 
we were traveling. We were on a furlough. That's when missionaries come home and they travel around the country, I think. It's called a furlough. I don't even know what furlough is, except that's what it is. Furlough is kind of a funny word. But I, we're traveling, and we're in some crazy state like Tulsa. And uh, we're in a travel trailer with my family. And I think there was a church there that we were visiting. But I have a friend named Dalton Thomas. And um, I have a dream about him. In the dream, uh, we are at this mission center that Ralph Winter started. And, uh, and in the dream, there's a screen on the TV. And suddenly, a, a lot of things happen, but suddenly we enter the screen and we are over the Middle East and we are flying in a helicopter and Dalton is videoing bodies, piles of bodies. I hadn't seen him in a year. I don't even really know him too well. We're acquaintances. Well, he is in the same town we are in. and I had no idea. My wife says to me, the morning I have the dream, oh, you know, Dalton is in town here. We should visit him. I go, Dalton Thomas. I just had a crazy dream about Dalton. Well, we meet up, and I give him the dream, and he goes, we're praying right now about moving to the Middle East. And he has a ministry where he is recording. Right now they are helping, I won't give specifics, but they are videoing uh, a lot of the conflict. And he's getting live footage and video of the conflict and producing movies about it. I am stunned. Beloved, I, I can't live without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, dreams, visions, prophecy. I've seen too many things to live without that. The way I ended up in Uganda, I remember I was on a short-term trip. I did not believe, I didn't know God was going to move us to Uganda. And here I am in this prayer room where African young adults were doing a little internship with them. And I'm praying, seated, I'm praying, and the Holy Spirit whispers to me, I'm calling you to move here indefinitely with your wife and child at the time. <laughs> and I heard the word just like that. I'm calling you to move here indefinitely. And I go, oh my gosh, are you serious? And I have this kind of flash of my life before my eyes. And the Lord said, if you don't do this, you're going to miss something I want to do. And, um, and then we have a little team meeting with a friend of mine, our team, or there was five of us from the States. And we sit down, we're having a debrief, and I don't talk to anybody about it. And my friend looks over to me and goes, she goes, uh, the Lord spoke to me. You and Rochelle are supposed to move here indefinitely. I start to weep. The Holy Spirit came in the room, and a friend of another friend, she's weeping. She goes, the Lord said the same thing to me. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. I was, when, so I came back from that trip, and I told my wife, oh, we're moving to Africa. She goes, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. <laughs> my wife is amazing. Anyways, I'm, I'm just having time of prayer, and I see a vision in my mind's eye of the map of Africa, bird's eye view, and there's a cloud in the northern part of Africa. 
And then I see arrows of light going into the west, northwest. And I knew that what God was saying was a missions movement. He's going to send missionaries to these dark areas, Islamic areas of Africa. And that's why we did this little graphic on, our, on the book. But anyways, so we move there and we start advertising for a discipleship school to train missionaries. And this couple joins the school and then he sits down with him. He goes, you wrote about that vision. Well, I was in a prayer meeting with this African intercessor. And this person told me a vision that they had while they were praying about God sending arrows from East Africa into the northern parts of Africa. And that's why I had to come join your discipleship school. Because when I read it in the flyer, God had spoken it through the, through the intercessor. We need to ask the, these kinds of questions. Am I hearing the Lord? Do I experience God? Do I have, have I been endued with power to speak, to preach? I believe Acts 3 is an interpretive kind of key, and I can't prove this exegetically, but Peter says, and I'm closing, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. And I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit corresponds with the times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. That this is promised under the new covenant. That the church will experience outpourings of God. You know, what we call it today is revival. See, we call it revival. The Bible calls it the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 2, what happened. People are filled. They speak boldly. Spiritual gifts they preach out, they go out and they preach. 3,000 souls are saved in a short period of time. What do we call that? Revival. But the Bible says this is what we should expect in our experience as believers. Amen? Now listen. What do you have to do to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I'll just take two minutes and then we're closing. I want to reiterate what Galatians 3.2 says. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Everyone who has the Holy Spirit in him and believes in Jesus, I mean, everyone who confesses Jesus as the Son of God has the Holy Spirit. So I'm not saying by baptism the Holy Spirit that you don't have the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Amen? You believe that? But there's also this receiving or enduing with power. There's a release of spiritual gifts. There's encounters with God. Listen, the, the church in Jerusalem experienced this multiple times, not just once. Not just once. They experienced it in Acts chapter 4. That's why I kind of resist a second experience of grace, because there are many experiences of grace that God wants to release on the church. But there were many ways that people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The apostles would lay hands on people. Church leaders can pray for you, lay hands on you, and see spiritual gifts released. See an empowerment and infilling the Holy Spirit. Seeking God in prayer and fasting. 
You know, what the disciples were doing, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power. What were they doing while they were waiting? They were devoting themselves to prayer. Devoting themselves to prayer. Now, this isn't just like the five-minute prayer where you, oh, thank you, Jesus, heal my dog, you know, save my aunt. No, no, they devoted themselves to prayer. They live, they, that was what they did all the time. <laughs> the, the early Pentecostals, they would encourage people, set aside time of fasting and prayer until you receive power. And many people did, but that, that's because they were living in a place of devotion. Paul says, listen, be filled with the Spirit. Now, Spirit-filled people, Paul believes they're Spirit-filled. He says to them, be filled with the Spirit. That means Spirit-filled people need to be filled with the Spirit. See, we got, there's, there's these kind of boundaries in our mind that we create that are not biblical. Spirit-filled people need to be filled with the Spirit continually. We need more. I need more. I'm not content where I am with God right now. I'm not seeing the kinds of miracles that I desire to see. I'm not seeing the salvations that I desire to see. There's a, there's a, point of fruit, but I'm looking for more. Amen? Seeking God in prayer and fasting, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Worship. God pours out His Spirit as we worship Him. Through Spirit-filled preaching, powerful preaching, Peter is preaching in Acts and... Um, and the Holy Spirit comes on the whole room while he's preaching. I, I read David Brainerd, this missionary of the American Indians. He talks about he's preaching and these, you know, no one listens for two years. And he's, a, he's an intercessor. I mean, he prays hours a day. His journal is amazing. And then all of a sudden, one day while he's preaching, he says it's like a mighty rushing deluge comes in the room. And criminals and murderers and Witch doctors are travailing, crying on the floor, repenting. He goes, I never experienced anything like it. From that day to the next, he goes, it was unbelievable. It was like the day of power. The baptism of the Spirit is a promise and a gift. Listen, it's not for the mature. If it was for the mature, the Lord would have taken it away from the Corinthian church. <laughs> Stop prophesying. Stop speaking in tongues. No. What does he tell them? They're immature. A lot of them are sinning. There's, they, they need order. And, and he, what does he say to them? He goes, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire to prophesy. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians, the first Corinthians who are immature and who aren't handling the gifts properly. Listen, immaturity is no reason to quench the Holy Spirit. This is promised to the young, to the old, and we don't have to earn it. We don't have to earn it. You don't earn it through your prayer and fasting. You just position yourself. We don't earn it. It's for all. Amen. Let's stand up. 
And being endued with spiritual power does not equate to uh, maturity and good character. That's what so many people see someone who does something wrong. They go, oh, that person, that evangelist or whatever. Oh, see, I don't want that. See, the Bible doesn't equate spiritual gifts or even miracles with spiritual maturity. God is just pouring out a spirit. He goes, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the young and the old and the mature on the immature. The church in Acts chapter 2, immediately upon conversion, they receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. Are they ready for it? Are they mature believers? No. No. Beloved, I want you to be hungry for what God can do. I was sitting here today, and I felt like the Lord was saying that he desires to send revival to this place, that this will be a center of revival. This will be a center of revival. Do you believe that? I want to pray for you. If you want to see spiritual gifts, you want to receive baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can come up and we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. If that's you, you can come up to the front. I want to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're not asking the question, am I filled with the Spirit? It's not about me. You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's drawing you right now. If you're hungry for more of God,